do you and your partner fight a lot? It's absolutely normal for couples to fight because we have two unique individual beings with their own way of operating in the world. And there is no way that we can have a complete match between these two people every time. Today on Fee Play Love, finding your way back to peace and love in your relationship. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Relationships can be challenging at the best of times, but throw in the major life change of children and things can feel even harder than before. From the early years of sleepless nights and dirty nappies to later challenges when parenting styles differ, there can be a multitude of fights that seem to occur over and over again. You might then think that these repeated conflicts are a sign that children have ruined your love life. Lizzie Abrahams is a relationship therapist and author of Relationship Reset. She says that while you might be fighting about the kids, the reasons for the conflict often run deeper. Hi, Lizzie. How are you? Hi, I'm very well. Thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure. So when we talk about conflict in relationships, I know personally that when I fight with my husband, I feel dreadful. I think we're failing on so many levels when we can't um, speak like adults to each other. (laughs) Is that something you find in your therapy rooms? Do people kind of feel a sense of shame or guilt that they're actually fighting? Absolutely. It's interesting because socially we try to set it up that when we show ourselves on Facebook and Instagram that we're both, we're all completely happy and happy birthday to my beautiful husband of a hundred years and (laughs) my soulmate and lover. And I mean, it goes on and on, but actually we never show those photos of us post fighting and the destruction we've had to the children in that moment. So we don't see it as normal. So we feel very ashamed that we've gone through this process and we don't know that this is happening all over the world at different times. So we feel like we're in a a bubble of our own hell and shame and that we've said things that we can't take back necessarily. We've gone too far. So yeah, absolutely. But we're all feeling it. And when you're working with couples, is that sense of conflict as unnatural part of the problem? Does that feed into it at all? As a natural part? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, something that just happens. I'm not saying that we don't want to resolve it or do things better, but the fact that we almost resist it, you know, that idea of sitting with uncomfortable feelings, it's not necessarily something you want to admit to that you're having these problems. Absolutely. I mean, how, how do we tell people publicly that we have meltdowns like our two-year-old? <laughs> how do we just tell people what we've just called our husband or what they've called us? And a lot of the time it's not nice in a fight or how threatened we feel. It sounds crazy. If we were to really describe what went on in a fight when we're triggered and how we go into fight or flight mode, it would sound bizarre. But we go through this because we're little animals, we're wired to be triggered and have fight or flight experiences. But if we were to talk about this at the dinner table and say, I lost my shit and then I called him this and he called me that and we really explained what happened and how frightened we were, we would sound quite mad, but it's so normal. Can it be said that relationships with some conflict can still be healthy? Yes. Okay. So we're not necessarily trying to resolve everything, just uh, maybe, maybe things that are 
making us constantly upset? Yeah, I think it's the quality of our relationship. So if we are having fights, but they're not, or, or niggles or complaints, whatever it is, but they're not having a an effect on the relationship that causes us to become more avoidant or to feel worse about the relationship, then we're fine. Have the fight. It's okay. It can be quite a release. It's when we're fighting and then we start to notice that the relationship's changing. And we notice that because the stories in our mind change towards our partner and how we feel about the relationship. So where we start off a relationship and we are often very enthusiastic about this person, I say it's 3D relating. It's this whole three-dimensional person who's got all these wonderful qualities and they're good at all of these things in our mind and we look up to them. Over time, when we fight too much and it's got an unhealthy quality to it, we start seeing what I call two-dimensional relating, which is where we start to just see their negative attributes and we stop relating to that 3D full picture and only the parts that are like a newspaper heading of um, cruel to the children or undeserving of my attention. Whatever it is, we we degrade them into a two-dimensional being and we stop seeing that they've got wants and desires and hopes for their life as well. So when you talk about the impact of let's say, continuous conflict. You've talked about how it changes. It might change the way we see that person. How does continuous conflict change us? I mean, what kind of uh, effect does it have on us mentally and physically? That's an incredibly important question because, as you know, we're joined up mind and body. So whatever way it impacts us, whatever goes first, is going to have an effect on the mind or body. So what I mean by that is, If we have a fight with our partner, our body is going to be mobilized for fight or flight. And that means that all of the adrenaline and cortisol are getting ready to fight this person that we've actually chosen to be with for life, as if they're a hungry bear chasing us or a lion who wants to take our head off. We are treating them like they are that dangerous to us in that moment. And we're defending them with whatever we've got, whether it's words or actions or making our bodies bigger. And so we've actually gone into something physically That is a highly stressful event for our body, but we don't just leave it with our body and then recover. We have a mind that is following everything that's happening with our body and it's making these narratives and joining up the dots with why he he or she is such a threat, what we feel about that. And it's when we listen to these stories and repeat them over and over, we keep that physiological response going. It doesn't just stop at the end of the fight. It's taken to work the next day she was really selfish, wasn't she? Or he was a complete idiot last night. Whatever it is, we can keep the story going. Or I'm so ashamed about what I said. I should never have called him a big loser like his father or something like that. We carry it. There's a recovery period and mind and body are both involved in that recovery period. Do some people though have a higher tolerance for conflict than others? For example, could one person suffer that kind of um, fallout, so they're taking it with them, whereas others, it's just like water off a duck's back. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So I will say yes, there are different tolerances for it. If you're someone who was raised with conflict, you might not be as um, bothered by it because you're used to it. You're wired up to have conflict in your system. Or you could feel if you have grown up with conflict, the opposite, which is, I can't believe this is happening in my couple relationship. I can't tolerate this. I don't want a replication of my childhood. So it could go either way. We can't necessarily say who's going to be 
what given their wiring it could go but it'll take a position either way it's an interesting one because sometimes people who I describe this in the book I call it a fortress uh, people run to their fortress they look like they're tolerating the conflict but they're actually not they're highly anxious but they've just got a way of dealing with it in a very pseudo independent way where they don't talk about it they close up shop essentially and go quiet inside of themselves but they can be quite angry or anxious in that place so what might look like water off a duck's back isn't necessarily. And so they may be struggling but not know how to ask for help or to put it out there in the world. When you say that the reasons for conflict can run deeper than whatever we're fighting about, what do you mean by mm. that? So when we have fights about money, we think we're fighting about money, but actually it's what money represents and with that, we're talking about the fear. So is it a fear of not having enough money? Is it a fear of not being able to buy the home we've always wanted? Is it the fear of getting in contact with shame that we had as a child because we didn't have any money? So money represents something. It's not just one thing and it's different for all of us. We all have a relationship with it and an emotional relationship with it. So if you have a couple where one person is spending a lot of money, well, even more money than the other, then the person who's not spending could be quite, become quite anxious because their relationship with money might mean they need a buffer to feel safe. Whereas for another person, spending money helps them feel safe. Yeah. And that, that's their freedom and they feel liberty as opposed to not having that ability to do that. So we all have a relationship and unless we understand our own relationship and our partner's relationship with money, we can get in a lot of trouble in our relationship. Because people can become quite controlling or feel controlled and then they become a threat and then fighting can happen. So that's just one topic that couples can fight about. And, and I want to give you some examples in a minute so that you can maybe talk us through how you would deal with certain situations. But before we get there, I want to talk about what couples need to do to get through this. So we often talk about the work, you know, mm -hmm. you need to work on your relationship or you need to work on yourself. How much work is required to address these kinds of issues? Because what you just described then in terms of relationship with money sounds like a mountain <laughs> of emotional work for people to do separately mm -hmm. and then together. Yeah. Is it a lot of work? It is work. We have to join up our earlier experiences with the emotions they've had for us because otherwise what we're going to do is recreate these in our couple relationship. It's whatever was difficult in childhood, if we haven't resolved that inside of ourselves, we most likely are going to repeat some of that in our relationship and there'll be fallout. And so for couples who haven't done the work or partners who haven't done the work, they will just be reacting to stuff left, right and centre. They'll be fighting. The kids will be exposed to that. And it can be quite terrifying and traumatising for children, seeing their parents absolutely losing it or gesticulating wildly or expletives um, flying around. So there's, there's a huge amount of fallout, not to mention the stress on the mind and body as well. But to do the work is a piece of work. And is it always fun? No. <laughs> it can be fun, but it's not always fun. It's deep. And it's joining up what's happened and why we behave as we do and why we react and what frightens us, what annoys us, what gets up our nose at certain points so that we're not just putting that on our partner 
our partner is not our dumping ground, our punching bag, whatever you want to call it. They're not that. They're a unique individual person who is actually deserving of more respect than that. But somehow, because they become my partner, I get to treat them according to my model of the world. It's actually not fair. And we know that from, you know, in Australia, one in three marriages don't last here. And I know that there are a lot more marriages than the one in three that aren't working because I see them and they try to get on track. Not everybody does. So there is a problem with our idea of coupling and how we treat our partner these days and our expectations of relationships. So we do need to do the work if we want this entity to endure. Some of what you're talking about requires a really good ability to self-reflect, which when you talk about it sounds very practical and easy, but it isn't always (laughs) that way. Let's say we are fighting about the kids. Let's use one of my examples. So let's say we're talking about when the baby's little and we're both saying we haven't had enough sleep. Mm. I don't know. Maybe it's not more complicated than that. Maybe it is just because that's pretty hard. Um, But let's say you're fighting about that and you're feeling really angry and defensive, like your partner doesn't understand you um, and that you just desperately want sleep. How can we look at that situation and get to the bottom of what that is about if it's not about the sleep? It's about the fact that the relationship has become competitive. It's no longer operating in that area as a team. And it might mean that you're still functioning in other ways as a team, but we know how critical sleep is. And we know that if we're not going to get enough sleep, we can feel dread and anticipatory dread about the day ahead or the afternoon ahead. I used to wake up with a lot of dread, Mm. really. So I understand about the sleep one. If our partner can't help us with that, we will experience them as a threat because it's like they're withholding something we desperately need. And so it's really important for partners to be able to get on the same page with that. And if our partner can't for any reason, I think it's really important that we find a way to do that, whether we get somebody in for an hour or two every now and then, just so we can put our head down, or we swap with friends in the in the hood, that we find a way to get what we need. And if it's going to cause too many problems in our relationship to get that, to make sure we do it and not wait for them, mm. take control of the situation, I would say, so that you get it, no matter how you, how you get it, but just get it. Mm. You can't deal with anything without sleep, no. I don't think. No. So you touched on there the fight or flight response, and I did say we'd come back to this. I think lots of people have heard of the fight or flight response. We know a lot more about anxiety and how that works and how that plays into it. But I found it really interesting how you describe this working in relationships, particularly when it comes to conflict. So if you're in a conflict, again, let's say it's around the baby's sleep, how might you respond if you're in fight mode? Oh, it could be with accusations about how they don't understand or blame or how they're name-calling regressed states, we could start telling them um, how inadequate they are as a partner. We can be quite cruel. We could be becoming quite victim-like and start crying to try and get a message across that they're hurting us in some way. We could become quite superior and let them know how inadequate they are as a partner to us and that my friend Jen, her husband Mike, make sure she gets enough sleep and make all these comparisons. I mean, let's forget the fact that he might be a raging alcoholic, but we do pick and choose the areas we want to suit our cause. Um, I think it's 
there's lots of things we can do. We can start to deny the reality of what our partner might tell us. We can deflect what they say. We can we can be guilt-inducing. There's so many ways that we can try and get to them, none of them helpful. Mm. But it's because we're we're trying to avoid the fact that we've got this gap between the two of us and what we're both needing or being able to deliver deliver in that moment. And it's when we can address that gap, which is where they are and where we are, there is a gap in how we expect life should be and how we parent and support each other. When we can address that gap in a more adult way, we can have a conversation. Any other time that we're losing it, we're out of the reality of it and we're using other things to create a scene to show how we feel. So talk to me about the flight response in that same situation. Uh It could be that we go into um, a sulky position, not talking to them. We could walk out of the house. We could leave the room. We could go and into another room and phone a friend and talk about them. Um, My God, that's so me. Not the talking about them, but reading the response you can have in conflict. Flight response is always the way I would respond. <laughs> I love it. It's so <laughs> interesting. It's so clear to me. Are, are most people one or the other or they well, tend to mix? I think I've got a fabulous combination of both. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. Lucky yeah, partner. it's very special. He's very fortunate. <laughs> I um, I have this beautiful ability to use whatever ego defense mechanism mechanism I can throw at that time, a little bit of blame or accusation, whatever, and walk out the door at the, backwards at and the that, same and, time. And the whole thing about this um, fight or flight, whether you're being aggressive and forward or if you're trying to avoid your partner, all of this comes back to the fact that in that situation, you're feeling threatened Absolutely. in some way. Absolutely. It's about a threat. And it's the same thing happening for the mind and body. If you're going into fight or flight, it's the same adrenaline and cortisol that is surging, your heart rate and blood pressure increasing. So your body is absolutely mobilizing to fight the beast. And if we, we make a calculation, can I fight this beast or will I be beaten? And if we believe we can fight them, we will fight them. And this is going back to very primitive days. But if we can't, we're going to run. And that's the the flight. Mm. If we can't beat them, we're going to flee. I'm a bit of both. So I will give it a go. Not that in any rational sense, if I step back, that my partner's actually such a threat. That's the thing here. He's he's not. And I'm not sure that your husband, is he an absolute threat to you either? It's just in that moment, we really feel they are. And so we feel we need to run or say something mean just to put them back in their place. Mm. And I mean, I guess you're saying as well, the threat might not be um, a physical one. It might be psychological. Like Mm. the threat is they don't love me enough to know what I want or they're not loving me enough to care enough to see that this lack of sleep is killing me, that sort of thing. It's like the stories, as you said, in your head that you continue on the next day. That's where the threat comes from. And then it's what does that do to yourself when you have those um, core beliefs? I'm not lovable at the heart of it. Or I'm unseen, I'm never seen, no one's ever going to meet my needs. And then what do we do with that? That's quite a despondent place Mm. that we can go to. And if we want to keep that story going and going and going, our behaviour will follow and how we treat our partner, it will follow. So whatever we think is going to come out in our actions towards our partner. We're not that good at masking and hiding how we feel. I feel like we need to come to some kind of solution, which I know you can't do in one conversation, hence why you've written a whole book. But uh, am I right in saying that ultimately 
the fight or flight response comes under the banner of distress intolerance. Is that what you mean by yes, that? Yes, absolutely. So distress intolerance is what happens to us when we can't sit with difficult, unpleasant, uncomfortable emotions. So we feel we have to do something. So if we could sit with the reality that, say, with your situation, that your husband isn't giving you the amount of sleep that you need, or maybe that wasn't about you, that was another example, but you're needing sleep and you're not getting it from your partner. The reality is you're not getting the sleep, but we need to do something because we're trying to get through to them. But because we're not getting through to them in the way that we feel that lands, we take it to the next step and that's because they started to feel like a threat. And so the distress intolerance is we're not getting through that gap. We're not able to breach, uh, to bridge that gap with them. So here... We then um, will do all sorts of things to avoid the reality. And that's where I was talking about some of those defence mechanisms before about blaming and accusing and then there's judgment and all sorts of things that come in. For some people it's drinking alcohol. For others it's um, becoming addicted to devices, digital devices, So, or even having an affair. That's a distress intolerance. It's moving away from whatever's going on inside of oneself and finding the answer somewhere else. So there's a lot that we do because we can't sit with difficult emotions. So what's really important for all of us is to take responsibility for what we can't handle and find ways to handle it. Okay. <laughs> that it's seems hard. to be the... <laughs> it's hard. I will not sit here and say it's easy. I'm yeah. still learning. I'm on this planet and I think we all learn across our lives mm. how to do this. Well, I mean, your main point in all of this is to say conflict is normal, but it doesn't mean you need to live with it. Yeah. And there is a way through to it. So you don't necessarily have conflict. And then I'm a bit of a catastrophizer. So I will have a fight and I'll be like, that's it. We need to get divorced. I mean, I never say that. If he's listening now, sorry, love. <laughs> um, whereas he doesn't see it like that. He's like, oh, it's normal for people to fight. So you're saying to people like me, <laughs> it doesn't mean the end. No you can still find a way back from that. Absolutely. And I, in the book, I actually share a part of how I do that as well. <laughs> and I say, oh, just maybe we're not suited. And my partner will say, oh, we're doing this again, are we? And I'm like, yeah, we are. <laughs> and it's so tedious because he has to kind of walk me back from the edge uh, of that. But absolutely, we, when we have a lot of conflict, now there's little conflict and there's a lot of conflict. And when we have that conflict that's starting to change how we feel about our partner, and our relationship, and we might even be starting to plan out or imagining being with someone else or whatever that is, our home is no longer a haven. And that makes life really difficult. When we haven't got a place that we can just be ourselves and relax into it and not have fear, then we are living in a place that's a version of hell. So when people are there, it's so critical and you want to get there, get help before you get there mm. because it's always further to come back from the more damage that's done in the relationship. But you want your home to be a haven. You want this to be a place that you can truly let every cell in your body relax. Mm. But that's not what's happening in so many households across Australia, across the world. There's so many people who fear the weekend and dread the weekend and don't want to be with their partner. They're looking for anything else to do but stay at home. So I'm not saying it has to always be like that for people, but there is a, there's a way to work through this so that your home can be a haven. There's so much in what you said that makes so much sense to me. Lucy, thank you so much for your time today. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. 
That's Lissy Abrahams. She's a relationship therapist and author of Relationship Reset, How to Break the Cycle of Conflict and Create Secure and Lasting Love. And I'll put links to the book in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.